Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Tonight on the eve of the 4th, do you feel proud to be an American? Here's Jeannie Mose. Is once exploding American patriotism starting to fizzle? Would you call yourself extremely proud to be an American? Not at the moment. I'm sorry. I'm proud to be an American. Only 47% of Americans say they're extremely proud to be an American. That's the lowest level since Gallup first asked the question 17 years ago. Extremely proud, very proud, moderately proud, only a little... Very proud. I think I could be prouder to be an American. 100% patriotic. I would say I'm embarrassed uh, to be an American right now. And you're a proud citizen. A super proud citizen. (laughs) Immigrants gave especially heartfelt answers. For instance, this naturalized citizen from India. I used to be very proud. I would say I'm just moderately proud now. It makes me heartbroken and hopeful that I shall be extremely proud again. Those who admit to a slide in their pride tend to blame a president who has wrapped himself in the flag. I'd be extremely if Trump wasn't president. It's a shame. It's disgusting. I'm going to put you in the uh, not at all proud to be an American. Not at all. If I had an opportunity, I would get the hell out of this country. Excuse my French. 32% of Democrats told Gallup they were extremely proud, compared to 74% of Republicans. The president's patriotism never flags. So many stars. If she wasn't my flag, I'd be dating her. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 6th of July, year of our Lord, 2018. And we moved it up early because I got a job. So next week I'll be busy doing last-minute projects like I got knocked out and doing your analysis and background checks and all that stuff. To start my new job, so I figured, you know, let's just get it in. I had plenty of plenty of material, as you can see. And that was Kate Bolden. She was smiling during that. She was very happy. Very, very happy that America is not patriotic. You know, tweets like this, Thor Benson, a blue check. Happy 4th, I just burned a flag in celebration of the First Amendment. And this one goes out to Tommy Lahren. Yeah. Vox, when a cause is opposed by the two most vulnerable groups in society, it's probably a bad idea. What was he writing about? This guy's name's Dillian Matthews. I'm reasonably confident a world in which the revolution never happened would be better than the one we live in now. For three main reasons. Slavery would have been abolished earlier. American Indians wouldn't have faced rampant persecution, but not the outright ethnic cleansing Andrew Jackson and other American leaders perpetrated. And America would have a parliamentary system of government that makes policymaking easier and lessers the risk of democratic collapse. Oh, okay. How about Washington Post analysis? It's Independence Day, but Americans aren't feeling proud. The Post polling team is celebrating Independence Day the best way they know how by combing through the latest surveys of what Americans say they think about the country and patriotism. We came away with the images largely negative and deteriorating. Americans are less proud of the country, and we're happy about that. Whole long out it's the same shit. Democrats hate the country. Everybody else doesn't. They don't quote the good stuff, the good polls. They stack a poll with liberals and 
wax for days when we had the dear leader standing over us telling us how to think, breathe, and eat. Chelsea Handler spent July 4th apologizing to the world. Most Americans are ashamed of Trump. Chelsea Handler's apology writ large an Independence Day for the election of President Donald Trump. To every country on the 4th of July, we're sorry about our president. He doesn't reflect our views, and we hope you know the majority of us are ashamed. We will rally each other and come back to the world one step at a time, she added, using a hashtag referring to the 2018 midterm election and another apologizing for the hot dog. But, as I dug up, even those in the walkway movement have had enough of Chelsea blathering. These are all hashtag walk away. Stop it with all the apologies as Independence Day celebrate your independence unapologetically. Be happier in America. Hollywood needs their own private country. Send them to the Middle East. will be clawing their way back to live free. Stop acting oppressed. I used to be a fan of yours. I used to watch a show. I used to think we're incredibly similar. I was wrong. I would never compare myself to the likes of you. I'm proud of our president. If you don't like it, move. Another one. Just a suggestion. Why not find a country the president you approve with? Make him or your president. I'm feeling better about my country if you were happy. There. We apologize for Miss Handler. Ill-advised comments. It's what they do. Stephen King. Progressives, go find a Trump-supporting friend, the one you haven't spoke to since November 2016, and give him or her a hug. Trumpies, find a liberal snowflake friend and do the same. Just for today, let's all be Americans. I actually like that. Conservatives dogged them. Thought it actually made sense. Turay Gallup, a record low. 47% of Americans are extremely proud to be American. I get it. I'm not extremely proud to be an American right now. Are you? Ben Shapiro, yes. And so were the vast majority of Republicans when Obama was president. Republicans generally don't judge whether they're proud to be American based on the party in the White House. Hmm. North Carolina social justice activists boycott July 4th, crash other people's cookouts. They went around, destroyed shit, Trump terror, helped us start a chain reaction. It was Instagram. They were all just excited. And here's some of the tweets. So y'all do realize the plan is to turn America into South Africa where white minority owners control most of the country. Hmm. Cassandra Stevens, I know some of us are tired and sad and mad and confused, but this is still our country, and it will remain so until the last member of the resistance takes their dying breath. <laughs> John Pavlitz wrote this. Dear world, felt we need to say something while saying something is still allowed. You know, many of you have lived under malevolent, unhinged dictators before, but this is new for us. For its history... Our nation has been led by men who, despite their varying flaws and deficiencies, some of them were quite disturbing, were by and large normal human beings, whatever darkness in them, they had, at the very least, a baseline of humanity and decency. This man is not normal. He's unstable, malignant, the whole shit, 90 million people didn't like him, blah, blah, blah. His America is not our America. Over the past few months, we've watched long, erected pillars of our republic bulldoze in the stroke of the madman's pen. Really? We've seen the very hallmarks of who we are as a nation tossed to the garbage, the celebration of diverse coexistence, the open welcome to be to the oppressed, the guarantee of unalienable rights for every person, the same access to health and opportunity and safety afforded to everyone, the freedom to speak without censor or restraint. At this moment, these are all in great jeopardy. Really? 
for conservatives on social media, you would be totally right. Things we look for granted, took for granted in our leadership, things like goodness, wisdom, and basic truthfulness are no longer in play. And as things are eroding quickly, we wanted to let you know, we're sorry. We're sorry that our apathy and laziness have yielded such reckless, impulsive small man to steward this nation. We're sorry for the jagged, bitter ugliness that has characterized us in these moments. We're sorry for those suffering greatly who have braved such peril to seek refuge and who've been turned away. We're sorry to our Mexican neighbors. We've been fashioned into convenient villains for erecting a grand oise, wasteful display of false protection that we do not want. Oh, really? America does, sorry. We're supposed, sorry to Muslims everywhere have been used as a pawn to generate irrational fear among those already susceptible to bigotry and discrimination. We're sorry to the leaders of the world. It goes on for pages and pages and ends with. In our humanity that we are in real time crafting the life our children and children will inherit, dear world, we're sorry. We hope you endure these days with us. We despair and hope in equal measure and peace and unity with you. The American Majority. Then there's Black Panther guys online. People of color, do you feel like there's a future for us in this country that doesn't involve us becoming pretty much legalized second-class citizen? Another one. We live in a time when silence is criminal. I'm making as much noise as possible. America, your republic is a danger, so celebrate, but with the knowledge that demagogues are stealing your democracy. Happy 4th of July, Republicans. Won't listen to a lesson we have no choice, so I'm I'm on a spending strike. That was something that started this week, a spending strike. I'm so sick of the notion liberals are unpatriotic. Really? Because it seems like over the last year, we're the only ones who've been fighting to preserve the First Amendment. Patriotism isn't buying a flag and a t-shirt from Walmart and drinking too much beer at your barbecue. Patriotism is believing and fighting for the values and principles this country was once built on. Somebody said this one. This girl went on like a 12 tweet screed. Laugh out loud. The founders of this country were slave-owning rapists and monsters, and like 99% of our presidential leaders have also been monster. What exactly are we celebrating in America? Oppression, racism, misogyny. White nationalism. She then tweeted, I don't care how much red, white, and blue you wear tomorrow. I don't care how many flags you own. I don't care that you stand for the anthem. If you're not willing to fight to preserve our democracy, all this is meaningless. Yeah. Kid's about 18, maybe. And then there was this wahoo. You can decorate your house, your lawn, and even yourself in patriotic flags, but if you're sitting by and agreeing with real Donald Trump, there's not an ounce of patriotism in your bones. I, when I was researching this, um, literally looked up this person. She's a vet. And I dogged her. And I said, well, let's put it this way. If you haven't fought the current wars to defend this country, you have no patriotism in your bones. And it was liked like a hundred times by people. She then said she was a fat, and then I dogged her with her ignorance and inability to understand everything you're bitching about now Obama was doing, but you didn't care because you didn't pay attention. Yeah, that's, that's where it was. Michael Moore, happy resistance day. The revolution continues of 242 years later. Come on, people, let's finish this. Somebody said he tweeted from his mansion. Slate, GOP aims to maintain shrinking white majority. That was their 4th of July article. 
And we'll close with why black people shouldn't have celebrated the 4th from the root and go into our fire for effect. What up, family? It's your girl, Simply Kenyatta here. And first, let me say thank you for tuning in and allowing me to share my opinion, my perspective with you guys. I wanted to come in here and talk to y'all real quick today because I know that tomorrow is... Independence Day in this country. It is a holiday that is very much celebrated by all who live here. And I just wanted to come in here and talk to y'all real quick because I don't know if y'all know, but this is not all of you. This is not a this is not everyone's Independence Day. You know, this is the reason why I wanted to come here and boop, bust your bubble real quick. Um, so, especially, especially black people. I'm sorry, if you, you know, I'm not a racist or anything like that, but if you ain't white, this ain't your Independence Day, boo-boo. I'm sorry. Um, have a seat. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you why you should have a seat. First of all, July 4th is not even the day that the declaration that independence was officially declared. The day that independence was officially declared was the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed, which was August the 2nd. Okay, what had happened was on July 4th, um, the Declaration of Independence they drafted the final copy on July 4th, and July 4th happened to be the date on the document, okay? Even after drafting the final version of the Declaration of Independence, um, years after that, it wasn't even celebrated by, you know, the Americans, okay? Um, the reason July 4th actually became a national holiday is because I believe on July 4th, uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, they both died on July 4th. Uh, Thomas Jefferson being the principal author of the Declaration of Independence. I'm pretty sure he wasn't the only one, and he was one of the founding fathers. Um, John Adams assisted in writing it. So these were two people who were so, you know, who played important roles in um, the United States declaring their independence from Great Britain. And yeah, there you have it. At least that's all that I'm going to tell you. That's really all that you need to know. Um, I'll leave all of the rest of the information in the description box. Feel free to go in down and read it. But the reason I want to do this quick video is because a lot of y'all out here going to be clowning tomorrow. Oh my goodness, please don't do it to yourself. Um, first of all, need, let me remind you that um, black people, talk to y'all, your ancestors were still slaves uh, during this period. Uh, what was it? Uh, 1776? Was the year all of this went down? Yeah, from my uh, knowledge, your ancestors 
Was still slaves, so first of all, you ain't had no independence or no freedom. So, appealing to the president as he tries to deflect. Look, this is Trump the destroyer in action. I mean, this is the man who wants to tear down well, let me just say, but let me just say, whatever you say about President Trump, I do not think this list is very different than you would have seen under a President Rubio, a President Cruz, or a President Romney. I think now, this now list you're is... just trying to make me nauseous, aren't no, you? But, <laughs> no, but, but Brian, through this golden door has come millions of men and women. These families came here to work. Others came to America, and often harrowing conditions. They didn't ask what this country could do for them, but what they could do to make this refuge the greatest home of freedom in history. They brought with them courage and the values of family, work, and freedom. Let us pledge to each other that we can make America great. Yeah, I cut that screed in half. It went on forever, and I shit on all of you. Then you heard the soundbite from Bill Crystal because he decided to make July 4th about immigration because he's now a conservative, but he's not a conservative. I don't know what the fuck he is. He's... He's pretty fucked up. Then we go back into our hate stuff, because it just kept happening. Here is uh, Ben Shapiro. Now this is a party. He's having a party with a bunch of Jewish people that are his friends. It wasn't a Jewish party. And Dan Ariel, uh, journalist, blue check, he said if you have five people at a table with one Nazi, you have six Nazis at a table. Everybody, they're all Jewish, you fucking moron. Then Van Lathan decided, wish I could take the high road, but your mega hat reads like a swastika to me. And a random kid, a teenager, was attacked by a grown African-American man that couldn't handle him wearing a hat. For the president. You ain't supporting shit, nigga. Now, I could go into the racial implications on this, that if somebody did that to an African-American, the outrage would happen. But I don't have to, because Mark Lamont Hill decided to do a bunch of happy emojis when this went viral. A blue check journalist thought this was great. He then explained when he was called out, I actually don't advocate throwing drinks on people, not at all, but yes, I think mega hats deliberately reflect a movement that conjures racism, homophobia, xenophobia, etc. So yes, it's a lot harder to feel sympathy when someone gets Coca-Cola thrown on them. Then somebody said, well, then you do advocate it, you fucking moron. And about a million people said, hey, I just bought a mega hat. Because that's where we're at now. They're telling you what you can wear. Then there was the huge thing about waters. 200 black leaders and allies blasted Nancy Pelosi and Schumer 
basically the Congressional Black Caucus, and they blasted them for not supporting her call for civil disturbances to happen around anybody that's conservative. So that's where we're on the hate. Let's go into our SCOTUS. Matthew Dowd, this is huge on the left right now. On July 9th, in an unexpected and surprising move in order to heal the divide in our country and bring folks together, President Trump nominated Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. He's expected to get overwhelming support, a dream for my country. That's a journalist. Once again, that's a journalist. Now, in all the times we put up with this stuff during Obama, did you ever hear them say, well, maybe you shouldn't put Sotomayor, who's an extreme liberal, or Kagan, who worked with unions. Maybe that's not the best choice. It was never called for a divide. They're still calling for a boycott because they say it's not fair the Republicans block Garland and put in Gorsh, even though that was an election year, not a midterm. And then Obama did it in midterms all the time. Nobody fucking cared. Nobody cared. Planned Parenthood went out and said demand that the Senate hold SCOTUS nominees to a higher standard of supporting Roe v. Wade. A personal, personal liberal standard for SCOTUS. Respect precedence. Rule in the way that ignore precedence is against the American way. But that's not as far as they've gone. Pro-kill babies are starting a sex strike. Pro-abortion women are starting a sex strike to save abortion. If you aren't smacked by the irony in that, something is wrong with you. Spooked by the Supreme Court vacancy of Kennedy, Harper Bazaar political editor at large, Jennifer Wright called for a sex strike from fellow pro-abortion gals to save landmark abortion case Roe v. Wade. Wright instructed her pro-abortion allies to withhold sex and dating with anyone who doesn't support a woman's right to kill a baby. Mm-hmm. Twitter, probably Google everybody else, brought out a woman justice emoji for just for these people. You never see that for conservative causes, but that's okay. Then there's all the conspiracy theories. New York Times kicked off speculation that Trump had an unduly influenced Kennedy's decision last week with an article suggesting the White House nudged Kennedy out. Think progress. Democrat members of Congress should look into what they believe is a suspicious business relationship between Kennedy's son, who works for Deutsche Bank, and the Trump family, because that's probably it. It's kickbacks. New Republic, now famous for calling for Democratic Bernie Sanders ouster from the progressive movement, followed up on the Think Progress report declaring relationship is shady between the two. Think Progress near a tandem. Just to state this, Justice Kennedy's son gave a billion-dollar loan to Trump. He left the bank in 2009, so I don't know what we're talking about here, but that's okay. Slate, normally a left-leaning publication, is embarrassed. Justin Kennedy is 80 years old. The next election is yet unpredictable. He's more than happy to be replaced by a Republican president. HuffPo did other crazy conspiracies, fake pro-life health centers trick women into having babies. Mm-hmm. Liz Winstead 
co-creator of The Daily Show, stated that we are living in a country where lying to a woman is now a First Amendment right because of the latest Supreme Court decision that, to her, gives fake reproductive health centers the right to deceive women about their reproductive care. Calling the center staff sham artists, though, whose strategies are endless, manipulative, and terrifying, these centers have built an industry of lying to women about their health care options solely for the purpose of luring women in the door and counseling them against abortion. So, so basically, uh, because Planned Parenthood is not required to put up paraphernalia for abortion, and religious centers are, religious centers or pro-life centers are bad now. See, this is, this is their theory. They don't want opposition. There should be no women's health clinics, like we have in Clarksville, that will refer you for abortion, but don't do abortions. Yeah. Then there was this, abortion crazies fled Susan Collins' office with coat hangers. Sent mine, you sent yours. With a loud and unified voice, the feminists have collectively echoed the haunting words of Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest. No wire hangers! Uh, Collins has expressed doubt about Trump's potential nominee, and abortion activists are lobbying her to oppose any judge who might restore protections for babies in the womb. The abortion crazies have bombarded Collins' Twitter page with photos of coat hangers while sending actual coat hangers to her office. Sent mine, you sent yours, one after his wrote on Twitter. Nobody should trust Collins. I'm considering her a pro-coat hanger senator. And NARAL, we generally emphasize a frame of individual case, not a massive statistics. But we spoke of the latter. It was about 5,000 to 10,000 deaths a year. I confess that I knew that the figure were totally false, and I suppose the others did too if they stopped to think about it. But the morality of our revolution was useful figure. And they go on to explain that they are lying about the deaths without abortion because it fits their fucking cause. How far has abortion proponents gone? Horrific. Parents punch their 30-week unborn baby to death. Charges unlikely. The parents of a baby girl who died of catastrophic injuries shortly after birth have been accused of deliberately killing her, according to court documents. The unmarried couple arrived at Cairn Medical in Bakersfield to give birth on the 24th. The woman was about 30 weeks pregnant. Medical staff found the baby girl was suffering from a fractured skull and spinal injuries, traumatic injuries that led to the child's death shortly afterwards. They also noticed severe bruising on the woman's stomach and suspicion of her explanation that she'd fallen while mopping. During the police interview, the woman admitted that having decided together they didn't want the baby, she and her boyfriend agreed for him to beat her in an attempt to kill the baby. Police said she told them he struck her stomach with his fist at least ten times and squeezed her after which she stopped feeling the baby move. In a separate interview, police said the boyfriend denied hurting the woman. But was it legal? Bakersfield police are investigating, the district attorney office reviewing the case, how even though the baby was viable and her parents allegedly beat her to death, it's not clear the couple could be charged with breaking California law. California Penal Code defines murder as the unlawful killing of a human being or fetus with malice aforethought. However, there's an exception for abortion. The law states that murder charges will not be pursued if the act was solicited aided or abetted or consented to by the mother of the fetus. Local defense attorney Mark Anthony Romato said, in the state of California, a person who's pregnant, still pregnant, can terminate the pregnancy almost by any means. 
and not be held liable criminally for their action. Oh. So that's okay now. I joke on the show they want to kill it when it's a toddler. But that law is so loose out there that you could beat the baby to death in the womb. And that's a woman's right to choose. You fucking people are fucking sick. You're a perversion of human nature. Only lions kill their baby. And those are the male lions. The mother lions die protecting them. So for all of those people out there, you are fucking abhorrent ghouls. The media loved this lady this week. She was a Puerto Rican lady and kids and she wasn't separated. It was all fucking faux, but they fucking ran that out like crazy. Then there's this shit. People, Ethel Kennedy, 90, joins Alec Baldwin and more stars in a hunger strike against Trump's immigration. Alec Baldwin, Martin Sheen, Rachel Evelyn Woods, Evan Rachel Woods, sorry, Alfrey Woodard, LeVar Burton, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Cory Booker, and Joe, Representative Joe Kennedy III are doing a fast. Yeah, that's, that's just beautiful. And then there was this. Brought it by you, brought to you by Educated Hillbilly. Amber Heard. Just heard there's an ice checkpoint in Hollywood a few blocks from where I live. Everyone better give their housekeepers, nannies, and landscapers a ride home tonight. Checkpoints on your home street. Is this the great American we're, we're aiming for? Raids, fences, and police state? Like checkpoints don't feel like the land of the free our immigration ancestors built. Then she deleted it because she realized what she said. So basically, that's the reason why Hollywood wants to support this. They don't want to lose their illegally employed against American employment laws immigrants. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's fucking fantastic. You're great. You're just great. But liberals, they're crazy right now, as can be displayed by this Ocasio-Cortez. Now, we played her on our last podcast, and she can't even describe the difference between Democratic National Committee and socialism. 
But the left's looking for youth. They think they can rekindle the Obama magic with a Latina. So DNC Chair Tom Perez proudly declares socialist Ocasio-Cortez is the future of the party. Dana Loesch, in obvious news, DNC chairs his socialist platform, by the way, Cortez, future of the party. But digging into her, as people are now, she made enemies at work over greedy behavior, ex-coworker says. New York Post page 6 reports that while many of the people who used to work at Ocasio-Cortez at Flat Fix liked her, at least one employee had a negative thing to say about her character. One waitress at the street taco and tequila bar told page 6 that during a busy Cinco de Mayo celebration 2017, she allegedly did something shady when splitting up tips. That's the best people can get right now because everybody's fucking protecting her. Michael Knowles calls out Democratic star on Girl from the Bronx claim. Uh, this guy's got a show for misleading portraying herself as a girl from the Bronx, which she really spent the vast majority of her childhood in the affluent suburb of Yorkton Heights. She just unseated Joe Crowley, big upset. She's running as an open socialist, and she says President Trump has never had a deal with a girl from the Bronx like me. I said, oh, a girl from the Bronx. Let me do like three seconds of Google search. Oh, and that's a lie. She's not. Alexander Cortez was born in the Bronx and then before that moved to a different area. Nobody seems to care. Then she was caught in this lie. Socialist Alexa Acrabla claimed that the United States did not add criminal penalties to the federal immigration law until 1999. According to fact checkers Daily Caller, that is categorically false. In 1929, the U.S. criminalized unlawful entry and began adding penalties for violators leading up to the 1999s. The U.S. added numerous laws intensifying penalties, but the penalties were already there. Nobody's, nobody's pushed back. Nobody's pushed back. They love this shit. As displayed by New York Magazine, fool Midwest voters by rebranding socialism. New York Magazine writer Eric Levitz admits in July 3rd article that the socialism of Democratic Socialist candidate blah, 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 Bronx, by the way, in Manchester County, might be a tough sell to voters in the Midwest. His solution is rebrand the leftist ideology in a way to make socialism somehow palatable. Uh, he says Democratic candidates in heavily white rural swing districts probably wouldn't benefit by adopting the slogans abolish ICE and Democratic Socialism. Those phrases are radical by design. Expand the boundaries of political possibilities by articulating a vision of transformative change. And they've proven quite effective at serving those functions. But they are an optimal slogan for the Democratic Party in heavily white non-urban swing districts. Levis solution is rebranded. Abolish ICE either means an end to all internal immigration enforcement or else a progressive reorganization of the Federal Government Immigration Enforcement Bureau. Perhaps a new slogan is needed, such as rebrand abolish ICE. Meanwhile, although socialism is coming back into fashion among the young, the world's approval rating is still lower than Donald Trump's. Then perhaps rebrand socialism as freebies for everybody. Both Medicare for all and single-payer health care enjoy majority support in recent polling from the Kaiser Family Foundation. Data for progress, progress uh, progressive think tanks use demographic information from Kaiser Poll to estimate the level of support for Medicare for all in individual states. It models suggests a 2014 turnout environment, which is to say one that assumes higher turnout for Republican constituents. A majority of voters in Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania would all support a socialist takeover of health care. Socialist takeover of health care. Yeah. 
There are a lot of reasonable technocratic objections to the job guarantee as a policy, but polling suggests that there is a majority support for massive public job program of some kind, like the New Deal. He finishes it. There's little reason to think that a customized version of Ocasio-Cortez class-centric social democratic politics can thrive in the Rust Belt. So you just rebrand that shit. Rebranded. While this is going on and they're loving her, damn congresswoman among anti-Trump protesters inside the Capitol. Democratic representative for Washington, Pramil Japal, is among the numerous female protesters who were arrested in the Capitol office building on Thursday while demonstrating against President Trump. Didn't see a lot of that. She loved it, went to Twitter. I was just arrested with 500 women in the Women's March to say real Donald Trump's zero-tolerance policy would not continue, not in our country, not in our name. June 30th, we're putting ourselves in the street again. It is rare that the Capitol Police would arrest a member of Capitol Grounds. Protesters were arrested for demonstrating inside the building, according to two police officers. The officer said the protesters could have demonstrated outside. The protests, which include 100 demonstrators and possibly just as many police, took place in the Hart Senate building. She then tried to justify that what she was doing is for people of New York. Then there's this man assaulted Secret Service officer outside White House after immigration rally, the same rally, and fucked his knee up. You didn't hear about that. You heard Scott Pruitt resigned to all his harassment. You heard that, right? That was big. Nebraska frickin', uh, Nebraska GOP building was vandalized with bricks. The media's pushing coward damn who threatened Rand Paul's kids doesn't want his, his identity exposed. They even printed Nathal Blaine's Luffman's manifesto about how bad he is and he shouldn't have it. Shouldn't have his name in the public. What he did was great. It was patriotic. And while all this is stirring and they're pushing socialism, WAPO's putting out mad hot summer, higher doses of leftist incivility. Feature writer Dan Zack reveals a left-wing activism like this massive opus in the paper and then a book of four blood-tossing anti-nuclear protesters. As the temperature peak, it's time for Zack to freak. This is not a normal time, a mad hot summer in the capital of resistance, wrote this idiot. Here we are all, the start of a mad hot summer in the nation's capital, a president violating norm after norm, immigrant children waiting for the mothers, a Supreme Court seat open like a wound, a midterm election hurling towards us like an avenging angel or a killer asteroid. The resistance girding for a war or curdling as hysteria depends on your view. Conservative justice or open wound, Republican Congress is a killer asteroid. Instapundit said, this is the ravings of an unhinged mind. He goes on to call people snatch, uh, child snatchers. They're feeding it. Because they want socialism. They want anarchy. Now this, a new news agency on Twitter and on the web, the Trump administration is forcing children as young as toddlers to represent themselves in immigration court. Beautiful pictures and everything. Problem is... The kids are unaccompanied, and they're from 2016. They re-ran an article for 2016 
when Trump wasn't in office. It went viral. The resistance got angry. So, yeah. You guys should be proud of yourself. Then there's Allie Watkins. Everybody's trying to spin for her. The New York Times dealing with D.C.-based reporter Allie Watkins by transferring her to the New York City office under close supervision. Rosie Gray just can't get over how much it sucks that the New York Times chose to participate in the shaming of this person who fucked numerous people to get secrets and put it in the paper. They even wrote a 3,000-word expose. I respect and understand the Times of you and agree that I should have handled aspects of my past relationship and disclosures differently. I sincerely regret putting the Times in a difficult position. I'm very regretful of the support I've received from my editors and colleagues here. I also appreciate the review conclusion that my reporting has been fact-based and accurate because I suck dick. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's just fucking beautiful. So... My bitter ass gonna music break. We're going old school. XTC. I heard this in a show the other day and I fucking loved these guys when I was a kid. We'll go into our tweets of the day and I swear by the time I get the news of social media nuggets, I'm gonna be a motivated, happy podcaster. Cause right now, every time I read this shit, I just wanna scream irrationally.
Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. tweets of the day the first one comes from kid rock remember kids leave budweiser and a rifle out for kid rock tonight and he'll bring you any fireworks who shows him holding kingsford in one hand a big old honest abe fucking fireworks show and i just laugh my ass off i got that by way of uh dana loesch then a sad one that I'm not going to read because I don't want to cry on the air because I literally will because I'm a wuss when it comes to dogs. There's a lady in London. Her name is Nicole uh, Nicola Coyle. She runs Gray Muzzle Canine Hospital Pro- Hospice Project in Mansfield, England. And they take terminally ill dogs, care for them at the end, Treat them lavishly with beautiful beds. Take them out of their healthy enough for McDonald's, pizza, ice cream. Take a picture of all of it before they put them to sleep. And I thought, you know, if I and my wife were huge animal lovers, and anybody listens to this show, you hear dogs or cats or bats or rats. Something's in the background. I don't actually have bats and rats, but I do have birds, cats, and dogs. You know... If I won millions, that's what I'd do. I would do that. It would be hard. I'd have to definitely toughen the fuck up because every animal we've ever put down, I've cried. The one that I had to do myself with a gun because we lived so rural. It was late at night when he got hit by a car. I couldn't. There was no place to take him, and we couldn't afford it anyway. I was just a E6 at the time, and we were hurt for money because of some bad decisions. Long story short. Um, that one haunts me to this day. I still have nightmares. So I wanted to make that the tweet of the day. Not my nightmare, but that lady doing really great service to God's creation that uh, he gave us, which are dogs. They truly are man's best friends. They're not political. They don't care about who's in the White House. They just care if you'll pat them on the head and scratch their belly. So thanks, ma'am. Tweet of the day! 
Constitution. His list is all people who we, we have an understanding are in opposition to Roe. You know, Amy Barnett uh, is a, uh, went to Notre Dame. She is very Catholic. She had a famous moment uh, with uh, former Senator Al Franken during her hearings about how she spoke uh, essentially to a hate group without really understanding the full um, context. Anti-abortion rights groups favoring Amy Coney Barrett. She is from the Seventh Circuit, a strong conservative. Barrett also has a pretty interesting bio. She's Catholic, has seven children, and is a member of a small religious group called the People of Praise, where members swear a loyalty oath, what they call a covenant, and as the New York Times first reported last year, held accountable to personal, uh, a personal advisor called a head for men and a handmaid for women. Susan Collins, you know, for example, on Barrett, she might have some problem with the handmade thing, right? Um, which, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people would have problems with. Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you know, is, is, is somebody who is known to be deeply religious. She, she's a Catholic. Uh, she belongs to a very small, tight-knit group called People of Praise that has received some uh, scrutiny lately for some of its less orthodox beliefs preaching uh, an ideology that says the husband is the head of the wife in the family unit. Um, you know, that's all going to come out Let's in a see way... see how that plays out when the wife is a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I know, it's a, it seems a little odd to me. Um, Ask but, you know, Ginsburg's husband. When you look at some of the potential weaknesses here, this People of Praise uh, reported ties that she has, an interesting religious group that, for example, labels heads of household, uh, the men, the heads, the women, the handmaidens. You know, usually that would end up in an hypocrisy sex section, but that's outright hate. Bashing a possible female Supreme Court nominee. The left has gone crazy over this because she's not pro-choice. Or, or, yeah, she's not. She's pro-life. And bashing her because she's very Catholic. Do we ever hear anybody say very Muslim? It's always Christian and Catholicism they have a problem with. And it's a hate. It's a prejudice. It's the bigotry the left has. I speak on it all the time on the show. They fucking hate Christians because they can't control their minds with their immoral bullshit like beating babies in a belly and that's a woman's right to choose like we read in the beginning section. Yeah. But it didn't stop there. White courts matter. As a judge, Barrett sided against an African-American worker in favor of company's separate but equal arrangement, flying in the face of the Civil Rights Act. People said this didn't happen. Barrett wasn't even on the panel. But it doesn't matter. They're just digging up whatever they can get on her because they want the American people to be scared of her. Remember, everybody's got to be a Nazi. Everybody's got to be a Nazi. Everybody's got to be a Nazi. But we can't win on our ideas. We're liberals. We fear-monger you with the Nazi. The Babylon Bee then took another person that I think's a fucking Nazi. No, I don't. I don't think people are Nazis. But I think she's a freaking shitbag. Camilla Harris. This is pretty funny, and it's pretty true. Camilla Harris reiterates strong support for separating families at the border of the birth canal. Mere hours after criticizing Trump administration policy of ripping babies for their mothers at the Mexican border, Senator Camelia Harris reiterated her strong support for separating families at the border of the birth canal. Senator Harris stated she wanted to make sure that her constituents weren't confused by her recent criticism of separating babies from their moms and that she's still a stalwart proponent of abortion. Having opposed a national ban on killing pain-capable babies at 20 weeks, let's be, let me be 
direct, she said in a television interview. While I did say I oppose ripping babies from their mothers, I'm only selectively outraged about the procedure. When it's done by a medical professional in a federally funded abortion clinic, I am still proudly 100% in favor of said ripping. In fact, it's one of my core values. Just really want to clear that up, she said. At publishing time, Harris had confirmed that she would continue to criticize separating children from mothers in the context of immigration while remaining blissfully unaware of her glaring hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is good. And other stuff, if there's any phrase that's been used more in the debate about over abortion than the obviously fraudulent, safe, legal, and rare, it's exception even the most staunch pro-life politicians have uttered, except in the case of rape or incest. Of course, the first question anyone would ask is, what would a so-called comedian have to say about it? Well, here's so-called comedian John Fuselage with a hot take of the day. Donald Trump's commitment to overturning Roe v. Wade has made him a hero to all rapists who dream of picking the mother of their children. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then there's Josh Wheaton. Penn's resistant poem, poem, gonna beat you with passionate compassion. The article goes, when he's not laughing about rhino raping Paul, Ryan, Paul Ryan with their horns or upsetting feminists with the next Avenger movie, he's waxing poetic about the life in La Resistance. Writing on his Twitter, the enthusiastic Planned Parenthood supporter and male feminist who allegedly sleeps with anything that walks, shares new resistant poetry, which he promised to beat right-wingers with passion and compassion that falls short of violence, something the peace-loving resistance leader abhor, even though he did once call for President Trump to just die. We've already mentioned his rhino raping. Behold the compendium of Wendon's poetic talent. My brain locks, sorry. Hey, far right, going to beat you, not going to start a war, not going to shoot you, run you over, threaten your kids. Going to beat you with passion, passionate compassion, with journalism, activism, the law, with votes, outrageous fear, outrageous love. Our state is united. Happy 4th. Chet Cannon posted it. Violence solves nothing. I want a rhino to fuck Speaker Ryan to death with his horn because it's funny, not because he's a GOP murder bro. Other tweet. Donald Trump is killing this country, some of it quickly, some slowly, but he spoils and destroys everything he touches. He emboldened monsters, wielding guns, government power, or just smug doublespeak, or Russia. My hate and sadness are exhausting. Die, Don. Just die. That's passion. Then I put this in the hate tweets, because I fucking hate Facebook, and I rarely use it, other than I'm taking my lunch to my lady. Or a, a, a screed I do every once in a while, which I did do a July 4th one, and say, ignore the resistance, love your family and your country, and in 2020, they'll love it too. But Facebook slammed for censorship of a country music patriotic song. For the record, I do get kind of butthurt every once in a while when country music guys kind of capitalize on patriotism. You know, after the war, do you remember? I, I, that was bullshit. He didn't say anything of that before then, but whatever. And they had a song, I Stand for the Flag. They wouldn't even allow it. They censored it and took it off. Instagram removes a photograph of two men kissing. Two brothers in the band were giving each other a kiss on the cheek. They took that shit off. So when they're left, they take it off. When they're right, they take it off. 
And as we'll hit the stat of the day, it's becoming glaringly obvious, unless you're a crackhead, if you're a conservative, social media wants nothing to do with you. They want you to go away from their sight. And lastly, and I'm not pissing on somebody's grave, the media is lauding the works of Ed Schultz, who just died. He died, uh, I guess, two days ago. And I'm going to play a montage of what Schultz used to say. I'm not shitting on a person's grave. I'm not dogging him. I'm playing his works. You'll never see it in the media. MSNBC won't roll it out. But the guy that used to do, are Republicans angrier than two black labs fighting over a toy? He he is a Rush Limbaugh for the left. By the way, his viewers said 97 to 3, yes. This man has said some fucking horrible shit. He was the beginning of this vitriol we have. He wasn't as bad as Randy Rhodes, but he came from the Air America crew like Matto. I think Oberman did too. He had a show. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to let his work stand for itself. And we'll go to hypocrisy of the day. Our next question is from Jimmy. Do you think that uh, hateful rhetoric from Republicans puts President Obama and his family in danger? Well, the Republicans aren't the only one that come up with uh, hateful rhetoric towards the president. Words count and words inspire people. And my answer to that is yes. Stick around. Rapid response panels next. Our first question comes from Sue. Uh, why do Republicans claim to be Christians while being so mean to the poor? Well, they're mean to the poor because they don't recognize the poor. They think if you're poor and economically challenged in this country, it's your own damn fault. That's how the Republicans view it. Just look at the way they want to not support the budget and some of the social safety nets that are out there. They think it's all about personal responsibility. In some cases it is, but they broad brush the whole thing. I don't think they recognize the poor in this country. Uh, our next question is from Richard. He wants to know... Will the Republicans try to impeach President Obama before or after the November elections? It would be after. If they hang on to the House and they win the Senate, I predict it will be one of the first things they talk about, and that is impeaching the president and how sad that is. The question going forward is, is have we just put a price on other U.S. soldiers? What does this tell terrorists? That if you capture a U.S. soldier, you can trade that soldier for five terrorists we've gone after. So I mean, that's you, a very dangerous precedent. If you were president, you wouldn't have negotiated? I, I do not think the way to deal with terrorists is through releasing other violent terrorists. Ted Cruz has zero credibility. He has zero foreign policy experience. He's a guy from, from Texas who doesn't have a clue. All he knows is that he's got a big name and a big state behind him, and he can get on any show he wants, and it's all pablum. Anything to take down the president. There's nothing American about Ted Cruz. This is where they are. This is who they are. They can't run from their record. Get your cell phones out. I want to know what you think. Tonight's question. Are Republicans angry? Are, are Republicans angrier than two black labs fighting over a toy? Text A for yes, text B for no to 67622.
if you had been in a time capsule for the last five years and just happened to wake up yesterday morning, you would have thought that health care in America had failed. Give me a number. What would it take? What number would the mainstream media be happy with to think that we're definitely headed in the right direction when it comes to health care reform in America? Bottom line is, we still don't know the number, but we're all pretty confident it's north of 7.1 million. Tonight's question. Is the mainstream media being fair to Obamacare? The school that yeah. you fund the most is the one that's going to better prepare students for education you know, in the future. If you were to supply monies to these public schools, then they could do equally as well. This breeds and feeds the next generation of segregation in America. That's what this does. I got nothing against the charter schools. Right, right. You it's know, I hope they all perform well. Right. But, but when you hit, when you have got public dollars that are going to charter schools and you're taking away from public schools and you're picking and choosing neighborhoods, that is a slippery slope. I don't really care if my rights are being taken away, who's taking my rights away. If I got punched in the face and it was a woman, I wouldn't be like, yay, feminism. I don't consider a person who would roll back Roe v. Wade a victory for women at all. And actually, I was thinking, you know, it's kind of a dubious position, but I'm sure that whoever, you know, if he does pick a woman, she'll be, woman, she'll be known as the Aunt Lydia of the Supreme Court. Uh, she'll be a woman who will be expected to take away a right that women have had in America since 1973. Another thing I want to point out yeah. is that Donald Trump has a very bad track record of appointing women. Um, as of May, he was appointing men two to one in uh, the Trump administration. So, so this won't fix it. One high-profile woman won't suddenly undo the sexism of Donald Trump. Because Democrats aren't stupid. Just picking a woman to do the bidding of a deeply misogynist president with a deeply misogynist agenda doesn't undo any of it. I, I think that it's it's sort of it demonstrates a fundamental lack of understanding of what feminism is and what women who fight for women's rights are, are working toward. We're not working toward elevating a woman to a position where she can take rights away from other women. We're working toward elevating and empowering women. That's more media, and I do air quotes, bashing a possible conservative person that could be, possibly, might be, considered for. And it goes back to that same old adage. It, it doesn't matter that they're women, they have breasts and a vagina. None of that matters. They're conservative, so they don't get treated the same. And the smearing and the hate and the just the, the fucking utter doxing that are happening right now on CNN and MSNBC. Show why the ratings suck. Because they're horrible human beings. They would never do that for a Democrat. Then we have the New York Times. This is literally from the New York Times. We're watching as a president of the United States openly lies, fabricates, and exaggerates what two-fifths of the popular population cheer for him. 
He spurs our allies and embraces our adversaries and people shrug. He's in congressional allies of propaganda armor waging open warfare on the FBI in an effort to tarnish it before its inquiry and connection between Trump and Russia, which has found nothing, can be made public. He is a racist who disparages black and brown people, whether they be immigrants, Muslim, people from Haiti, Africa, Barack Obama, the mayor of San Juan, or Maxine Waters. People equivocate about it and excuse it. He's attacking the press in the most aggressive of terms so that what they reveal about him will be reviewed with skepticism. Yeah. The purpose was to rage against the ragers, the Trump ragers. Nick Jack, uh, Nick Jack Pappas. Trump rage junkies are an easy lot to spot. They lash out, they put you on lists, they say you have Trump derangement syndrome. It's all projection. They're addicted to Trump. Anger is the only emotion they have left, and it's better to feel anger than nothing at all. Then we have this crazy shit that happened this week, and CNN went crazy over it. All right, you're looking at live pictures of a mother named Brenda's Garcia who is about to be united with her son. They were separated at the border back in May. They have not seen each other for about a month. Our reporter, Polo Sandoval, is there with more. Polo, what can you tell me this morning? Uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, this 25-year-old woman. We'll call her Brenda right now. Having used her last name for her own protection, we are uh, anticipating this moment. And I'll, I'll work with me, Poppy. I'll tell you a little bit about her case. She's from El Salvador here and has been waiting to hold her arms. A 7-year-old little boy hadn't seen him for a month. And this is the first time as we see together that this 25-year-old woman is able to hold her child. Let's go ahead and listen in, Poppy. They're trying as hard as they can to come up with reuniting families. Everybody, including lefties, said. Anyone else feel this was strange? There was no connection. Yes, someone posted on Facebook and was all prepared to say kids handle emotional circumstances differently until I watched it, but I watched and something is way off. Later on, they weren't separated by the government. But CNN never made that connection. So every podcast, I bring back another instance of CNN basically lying. They know they're lying, but they just want to do what they do, which is try to get some heartstrings, play a little violin behind the scenes and get people, oh, those poor people. Then this crazy shit, only CNN covered it. A church in Indianapolis has put up a display that shows a statue of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus in a cage to protest the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy. Nowhere in the article is it confirmed that that's what they're doing. They just took a picture, and they ran with it. Most people said, I would just assume they're trying to protect it from getting stolen. Then we have this. 
Plenty of journalists are shocked at the White House account with the target and individual senator, but ABC News' Andrea Mitchell wasn't having any of it. White House official Twitter accounts slam potential 2020 opponents of her ICE falsely accusing Senator Camille Harris of supporting the animals of MS-13 and Senator Warning of supporting criminal movies, moving weapons, drugs, and victims across our borders raise questions of law and ethics. She then tweeted... Section 352A of Title 31, no part of the money appropriated by an actment of Congress shall be used directly or indirectly to pay for any written matter intended or designed to influence any of the manner of a member of Congress about our interpretation of the law, though. Then a lawyer comes in. Would it surprise anyone to know this isn't what 31 U.S.C. and 1352A is about? 3,000-plus retweets for lying reporter doesn't say influence in any manner. It says influence in connection with the list of contracting and financial actions. Here is the text, which has nothing to do with Mitchell Reports' claiming. Her readers are even more ignorant for following her than if they'd never heard of the law. He then asked, what is it with these people? Early today, Chris Hayes accused the president of lawbreaking because he hadn't nominated a replacement for Mania. In fact, he did it on June 19th, but they didn't report it. Somebody else was so fired up. Twitter, are you backing this? Chris Cal Carnahan, you're helping the White House break the law. And then reality comes in. Yes, using official White House Twitter account to target sitting senator is wrong and possibly illegal. And wait, no, you're a hack. And this is Stephen Miller. White House archived. Sorry, Senate Majority Leader, but we wouldn't call millions of Americans gaining health coverage a broken promise. That was from 7-26-15. So Barack Obama can do it. Trump can't do it? Is that what you're saying, Andrea? I cried because Hillary lost? You guys are fucking hacks. Then NBC News, Trump administration instructed immigration agents to give two options to parents. One, leave the country with your kids. Two, leave the country without them. DHS slams NBC reporter a factually incorrect story. She doesn't know what she's reading. Julie Ansley and Jacob Soboroff reported the only way the Trump administration will allow family use to be reunited is if the parents agree to be deported and have his or her asylum request rescinded. Then the parents could turn on with or without the children. The DHS spokesman told the Washington Examiner that the policies being referenced, referenced to has existed for decades and that Ansley's misinterpreted comment used a few U.S. official made as response to a recent court order and never asked DHS for comment. She doesn't know what she's reading. The DHS spokesperson said over the phone when asked about the information in the story, a representative for NBC Universal could not be reached. They just made it up. 15,000 retweets, no correction. Then you got Jennifer Rubin. Women are critical to midterm and future of our democracy. While Democrats have a powerful motivator with women this election, i.e. criminalizing abortion, which 
nobody's doing. They would be foolish to rely on only social issues. Women are much more inclined to favor Democratic positions on health care and immigration and reject Republican nativism, xenophobia, and general nastiness. Second, those tired of a president who lost the popular vote might push for important change in electoral college. Groups such as the National Popular Vote Incorporated wanted to change it to align more closely with the popular vote. Others want to award electoral votes proportionally, but the two would require Democrats to start winning in state legislation and gubernatorial races. Getting red race states to agree would be an uphill climb. Somebody tweeted, for fuck's sake, this is the type of thinking that actually costs the Democrats the election, that somehow the left's appeal to women because Republicans are mean. Okay, wait, is that what her plan really is there, pushing the left to make the same mistake that the right can win? Never mind, wistful thinking on our part. Here's the deal. She's the conservative. And I want to rewind the tape back to 2012 when we were all told the conservative will never win. Demographics are too off. It'll always be a Democrat. So when that didn't work, now they want to rig it so that you can't have representation for the red states. They don't want representation. They want popular vote. They'll always win the popular vote because California had 3 million extra people to vote for Hillary. That's your 3 million difference. And with California, a sanctuary state, that means we will no longer have an election of the American people. We'll have the election of Mexico, Costa Rica. Those people will vote because they're going to be voting. They get free driver's license. Do you think for a second... Anybody's going to stop them from voting in California? As I said about six podcasts ago, California should no longer be able to vote for national elections. Their entire voting system is compromised now because there's no way to stop it. And if you do stop it, you get called a xenophobe. Well, you can't vote. You're not an American citizen. Fuck you, fucking xenophobe! So we got WAPO wanting to redo everything so that we can get, and that's the conservative at WAPO. Only got one. New York Times, hey, let's kill the First Amendment. It's helping conservatives too much. Yeah. On Sunday, the New York Times ran a front page, 2,000 word report on how conservative weaponized the First Amendment. Now, you might ask yourself why the most famous press institution in American history is questioning the wisdom of the First Amendment. You might all ask yourself how conservatives could have weaponized a freedom. This is sort of like saying that law-abiding citizens weaponize the right to be free of unreasonable search and seizure. But according to the Times' Adam Liptak, conservatives have twisted the definition of free speech to enhance their own political goals. Quoting execrable Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan, Liptak explains that conservatives have been weaponizing the First Amendment through decisions that recognize the rights of non-union members, religious Americans, and people who want to spend money on elections. Lipsack states, conservative groups borrowing and building on arguments developed by liberals have used the First Amendment to justify unlimited campaign spending, discrimination against gay couples, and attacks on the regulation of tobacco, pharmaceuticals, and guns. Hmm. All those are non-liberal things. Hmm. So, basically what you're saying is, Christians, gun owners, we don't have a right to anything. Only you got rights given to you in the First Amendment. Okay. But while they're doing that, New York Times drools over possible Democratic midterm wins, targets individual Republicans, 
daily. On Wednesday, the paper target representative Barbara Comstock of Virginia, Michael Tackett's fair enough story, nevertheless put Comstock in a national spotlight as a vulnerable Republican and diverse Virginia district ties to Trump test a dutiful incumbent. The online headline was harsher. This Republican always shows up. That may not be enough this fall. Tuesday's lead national section story by Jack Haley in Colorado was headed a diverse district where Republicans hold a grip. The online headline was more whiny. If demographics are destiny, why can't Democrats win this district in Denver? Yeah. Other headlines. If LaGringa can win in Miami, what wall? The pattern goes back to the beginning of the election cycle. All these are headlines from news stories, non-opinion pieces. May 15 analysis of Maggie Astor and Trip Gabriel. In remap districts, Pennsylvania Democrat plot the resurgence. A gain of three to six House seat is expected. May 3rd, GOP Obamacare repeal vote becomes a Democratic weapon. April 27th. Wave of red surge in Arizona, Colorado. Tired of cuts. Teachers demand higher pay. Walkout shut down hundreds of schools. In a lead national story on April 20th, but Kaplan eagerly inquired, in a pro-Trump Tennessee, can popular Democrats flip Senate seats? April 19th, farmers' anger at Trump tariff put GOP at risk of midterm. March 27th, Democrats need to flip 24 GOP seats to reclaim the House. 25 are in Clinton territory. January 20th, White House move risks GOP's California delegation. What delegation? Then, New York Times frets over Supreme Court threats to gay marriage, transgender women of color. In a week since Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement, future Roe v. Wade has dominated the conversation about among both liberals and conservatives. The effect Justice Kennedy retirement could have on lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights has received less attention. The prospect of more conservative justice through the has LGBT rights group worried about legal change, challenges for conservative groups that oppose gay marriage, who may see an opportunity to challenge rulings that have established illegality. Stop! No! The court never revisits things that they've already ruled. Everybody who has an IQ above a potato knows that. But that's not why they're printing it. They're printing it because the masses of the resistance don't have the IQ of a potato. And they clickbait, fearmonger, faux outrage, everything without researching. New York Times, man, you're not even trying to be unbiased. And if anybody had watched that special on Showtime, which I stopped watching, it was obvious. They were in tears when Trump won. Tears. The paper of record. I'd rather them just go all in like the Daily Beast. We're fucked. Daily Beats frets about Trump turning America into the handmade tale. Yeah. The current season of The Handmaid's Tale has been brutal, and so has America as of late, the Daily Beast contributor Alex Zargota bemoaned to open her overwrought piece on why we should be worried that our country is turning into a dystopian feminist fiction. I won't read it. She's, well, I'll read this line. 
I ask myself if they're longing for America I currently live in. I can't help but look around incredulously. Are you for real, handmaids? Have you seen this place? Sure. I'm not wearing a bonnet or forced to become a baby factory, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. America is not so beautiful right now, even if it's not as bad as Gilead. Zeroga winds to the end, her over-the-top piece. The fictional show is a favorite fantasy among liberal feminists who use it to complain that women are now doomed with Trump as president. On Tuesday, another Daily Beast writer, Aaron Gloria Ryan, claimed Amy Conan Barrett was a villain in Handmaid's Tale. Hmm. Yeah, that's nice. So let's listen to our media mash. CNN Jim Acosta grovels, I have to ask, forgive me, to a Democrat. That would never happen. NBC guest makes batshit claim about Trump's SCOTUS pick. And I got one in there with fucking Nicole Wallace, which I'll talk about on the backside. Any in your uh, party, though, we should point out, Congressman, it's a growing number. Uh, They want to abolish ICE, uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. Uh, Do you support abolishing ICE? What is your position on that? Well, first of all, it's a hashtag. I think we have to actually understand what the policy perspective people want. We don't want to abolish ICE. We want to make sure that ICE is actually doing its job properly and not being abused by this White House. Instead of actually screening for criminal element that does exist within the illegal alien community, ICE over the last you know year to two years has been going after mothers and fathers, people that are otherwise innocent except for crossing the border. They actually deported a uh, doctor who had been in this country for 20 years for a misdemeanor that he had done when he was 18 back to a country that he had never been in the Middle East. Uh, you know, we want to see enforce uh, the, the border, our border laws enforced. We want to see bad criminal element that exists within our American community out. But we also don't want to see these abuses that are occurring under the White House. And let's, you know, let's be clear. This is the same uh, White House that has already separated thousands of families and created 2,000 orphans to this date. So for us to trust the president that he's going to actually judiciously use uh, any uh, any immigration force uh, is dangerous. So us asking for restructuring, I think, is perfectly fine. But, but Congressman, there are some some in the Democratic Party who who do want to abolish ICE. I mean, that that is a fact, right? I mean, do you think that they are misguided in in calling to replace or change ICE? This is a law enforcement agency that... does have to enforce the (laughs) law. I know you may disagree with how the president is using that agency, but I'm just curious, do you think this is a bad idea? I think restructuring and actually holding accountable any governmental agency that is, you know, at this point acting rogue is important. Uh, I disagree with this idea that all Democrats or even a majority of Democrats are asking for ICE to quote unquote be abolished. That is a hashtag. Uh, what is really happening is that we want to keep this organization accountable. We do want to, of course, have immigration enforcement, but we don't want them to actually just be focusing on mothers and fathers. We need them to go after the hardcore criminals, which they're not. They're just trying to rack up the numbers and going after innocent people that are here that are workers that are the that own companies instead of actually going after the hardcore criminals but i have to ask i have to pressure on this and forgive me congressman but sure. kamala harris senator kamala harris senator elizabeth warren are, are they going too far in in calling for the the abolish abolition of that agency the elimination of that agency excuse me uh is that a mistake do you think well I- 
you know, knowing both both women, uh, I know them to be very responsible. By saying they're trying to abolish them, it doesn't mean they're trying to stop all types of immigration enforcement. What they're essentially saying is that we need to make sure that this agency continues to be held accountable. Look, uh, ICE only came about after September 11th, and it was largely in, uh, there to go after a potential uh, terrorist uh, elements. There will be something that exists uh, after ICE. Uh, there will be something that's actually there to actually enforce the law and to deport those people that need to be deported. But the element that is uh, taking over ICE right now that is actually deporting mothers, fathers, separating families, going after people that have been in this country for years, some of them actually permanent, re permanent residents, uh, is something that is disgusting, I think, to American values and is being abused by this president. But to say that either of those senators somehow want to get rid of ICE, quote-unquote, and have no enforcement, I think is totally erroneous. Okay. Congressman Ruben Gallego, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining. Tweeted yesterday morning, it's absolutely realistic to predict that women will be prosecuted and imprisoned for having abortions. Women have already been locked up for miscarriages and stillbirths, starting with women of color. These ways of criminalizing pregnant women are all related. Now, the interesting thing is, in an interview um, with Chris Matthews before the election, when asked specifically about abortion, President Trump says there should be criminal penalties for this. So. I think to Jennifer's point, why assume it's all uh, safe when there are people in power on the record as saying they would reverse uh, the gains that women have made? Right. It's not safe at all. First of all, we already see that across the states there have been a slew, hundreds of bills, many of them passed, that are already drastically restricting women's access to abortion. And the U.S. Supreme Court narrowly struck down a very, very horrible law in Texas that basically shut down most of the abortion clinics and forced women to travel hundreds of miles if they even wanted to have access to one. That was one where Kennedy was in the majority, but it was a slim majority. So we are already seeing an onslaught on women's access to abortion. And what I was tweeting about is that there is already criminalization of pregnant women for harming a fetus. This began in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when black women primarily were being prosecuted for drug use during pregnancy. Women were thrown in jail right after giving birth. And that has ex exacerbated recently with states passing fetal protection laws and prosecutors already putting women in jail for stillbirths, for miscarriages, and for botched abortions. So already women have been imprisoned for harming a fetus, right. and abortion is its a very thin line between putting a woman in prison for a stillbirth or a miscarriage that she's blamed for, for something she did during her pregnancy, and criminalizing abortion. So we're already at that point and I agree with Jennifer that women and others have to protest against this continued criminalization of women, harms to our health, and what I think is misogynistic laws against women. In the trunk. You know, so. <laughs> Not since Saddam Hussein pretended that he had weapons of mass destruction and brought on innovation have we had someone do this. That's a really great point because, you know, in foreign policy doctrine, there is this question of, of whether you are a, an unstable actor. And right now we have a president who's actually an, an, an unreliable actor. Right. Do you think the president's an unstable actor? Yes. I, what, what stuns me is why the markets have not reacted to the lack of stability. They're beginning to on the tariffs. But remember, that was what everybody said. You know, everybody said in, in going into the election, 
you know, Hillary is, you know, she, she may not cut taxes, but she's good for the market because Trump is unsafe. And then the market goes up. Mm-hmm. So I just, that, that, I continue to believe that well, the reason his approval rating has a four in front of it is what I keep thinking of as the 401k Trumpists. Mm-hmm. Their numbers are up. They don't pay as much attention to all this as we do, which is probably healthy for them. Uh, but I think that they're, without this prosperity, and a friend of mine pointed out this morning that it wasn't until Nixon's recession that the Watergate stuff drove. So if a recession hits... Mm-hmm. You we, think that's where he bought and falls out? I think so. Um, I, okay, good. <laughs> Check. You spoke to my better angel, and you can come back. All right, so so, uh, Axios is reporting today that our... Yeah, we're just making shit up. And Nicole Wallace and crew, once again, come on, recession. That's how bad they are, rooting for the failure of America. And I only play the Acosta piece, because that was him playing big boy. He got a host, State of the Union. Or, sorry, Situation Room. So here is what he actually tweeted about the woman scaling the Statue of Liberty. Happening now on Situation Room, we are following the breaking news from New York City, New NYC, as police are scrambling to rescue a protester who has climbed the Statue of Liberty, filling in for Wolf. Happy Fourth of July, everybody! Then he tweets, thank goodness, a safe conclusion to rescue the Statue of Liberty on July 4th. Cheers to the first responder in New York City and all across America. More coming up on the situation room. Yeah. That's that's him. CNN host proclaims national emergency. On Monday before the Independence Day, the network morning shows led with oppressively hot weather. The normal feverish panics about living in Donald Trump's America were missing for a few hours. You can count on reliable sources host Brian, William, Brian Seltzer to stay true to the tr- trash Trump parade at the liberal Aspen Ideal Festival. He interviewed Washington Post executive editor Marty Barron. Seltzer claimed to speak for the crowd when he began with the question, are we living through a national emergency? Are you fucking serious? But that wasn't the worst this week. John Hayward tweeted, This article and headline are pure propaganda. The article claims the ceremony coincide with Trump's widely condemned policy of separating families at the border. You know, the policy that stretches back to the Obama years? How often will CNN repeat this lie? And what was the headline? CNN politics. These immigrants became American citizens in the time of Trump. So instead of saying they did the real thing, they went the right way. No. No, no. It's the time of Trump. It's like we're talking the, about the fucking dark ages. And lastly, before we go into our stats of the day, MSDNC promotes website that connects Democrats with swing districts. Liberal media love to pretend they don't play favorites between the parties, but that's really hard to defend when you're praising a liberal organization called Swing Left that connects Democrats with swing districts they can volunteer in. That was exactly what happened during the Thursday MTP Daily on MSDNC when Chris Jansing filled in for host Chucky Todd. 
Jansen began the segment like a late-night infomercial by first touting how Democrats are fired up right now over issues like immigration in the Supreme Court and, frankly, Scott Pruitt. She then lamented how many of those same people lived in deep blue districts where their votes didn't mean much for the resistance. Well, now an organization called Swing Left is helping connect Democrats who live in those blue districts with nearby purple districts where they can make a difference and try to flip control of the House. Yeah. Okay. Okay, moving to stats. CNN Brian Seltzer was quite intrigued by a new initiative in New Jersey that would allocate $5 million to support civic information, in part by using state funds to shore up local newsrooms struggling to stay afloat. For, you, for a guy who works for CNN, Seltzer didn't seem at all bothered by the state helping fund news coverage. Aren't they always complaining about fa- facts news as the state news? The Nealman Journalism Lab of Harvard is also intrigued by the idea and compared the dollars per capita spent on public broadcasting. <coughs> Norway, 135 per capita. Germany, 107. The U.S. spends 2.25 per person. Most conservatives say, well, that's good. Because NPR is just left, left fascist propaganda. You say, no, no, Sesame Street. Now, that's no longer there. HBO or Showtime owns that shit. On July 4th, NPR replays how God bless America is a syrupy whitewash. That's what they played for July 4th. Hmm. Okay. Let's move on to SCOTUS. Should SCOTUS vote come before or after the midterms? Democrats just keep getting disappointed support Supreme Court news before the dust has settled on a series of significant rulings last week. Justice, Justice Kelly, blah, blah, blah. And yet more bad news. NBC News and SurveyMonkey found that a strong majority of Americans aren't with the Democrats. The results, NBC admit, undercut the Democrat argument that the vote should be delayed until after the midterm election. Greater than 6 in 10 Americans say the Senate should vote on Trump's nominees. Only 33% believe the Senate should wait. How about abolishing ICE? Do you think that's going for them? Probably not. Opinion on ICE or agencies are mixed. Just 37% of those surveys said they have a favorable opinion of agency. 39% they have a negative opinion. But the public appears far from eager to get rid of the agency. Just 21% of respondents said they support abolishing ICE, while 44% say they oppose abolishing ICE. 35% were undecided. How'd HuffPo do it? Just 17% said they had heard of calls to end it, while 59% said they have not, and it's because they're not paying attention. Other leftist bad news... World Cup TV ratings down 42%. Sorry. We're not Europe. CNN loses in quarterly ratings to home and garden television. That's right. According to Nielsen Media Research rating for the second quarter of 2018, Fox finished number one in both total day and primetime viewers. The average, the network average, 1.4 million in total viewers and 2.4 in primetime viewers and claimed 10 of the top 15 shows. Hannity was the most watched cable news program with 3.3 million. Maddo only had 2.7 million. 
MSDNC finished second in total viewers behind Fox and third in primetime behind Fox and TNT, which received a major boost from the NBA playoffs. Meanwhile, CNN sat at 10th for primetime behind ESPN, which, by the way, not a lot of people are watching that right now because the football's not in, HGTV, Investigation Discovery, and the History Channel. In total viewers, CNN finished 7th behind Nickelodeon and Home and Garden Television. In prime time, CNN didn't even hit half as many viewers as Fox, managing just an average of 929,000 viewers. Yet every day they get up there and they run their sucks. Wow. Wow, you, you might want to restack the deck there, Zucker, you fucking moron. Other stats, 85% of conservatives say social network censor their political speech. Already referenced it, won't go into it. Other one that's kind of sad, Malvoc vacancies hit six-year high on online shopping takes toll. It Brick and mortars are falling apart. They're just falling apart. And lastly... Snow blankets parts of the northern Rockies days before July 4th. Two inches of snow in some spots. Snow fell above 7,000 feet, and that is very rare. So I wanted to hit that as a statistic. So we're going to go into a music break, and then we're going to listen to Jordan Peterson. This is Matt in Oregon's favorite intellectual. I composed a soundbite of his best comebacks. He chews up Dyson which I really like. And this guy is a free speech guy. It's hard for liberals to understand free speech. It's a concept they haven't grasped. They only believe in the speech they agree with. So we're going to listen to that, and then we'll come in on the backside of that with another... Well, in fact, we're just going to go into that soundbite, then we're going to go into a music break and news and social media nuggets. So enjoy. culture, And I ain't seen nobody be a bigger snowflake than white men who complain. Mommy, mommy, they won't let us play and have everything we used to have under the old regime where we were right, racist and supremacist and dominant and patriarchs and hated gays and lesbians and transsexuals. That, yeah, you got to share. This ain't your world. This is everybody's world. And let me... Good point. Jordan, let's have you jump in on this idea of, of what you see as the pernicious danger of groupthink when it comes to ethnicity... Uh, when it comes to gender. Why do you think well, that that's one of the primal sins, in your view, of, of quote, political correctness? Well, I think it's one of the primal sins of identity politics players on the left and the right, just to be clear about that. Personally, since this has got personal at times, I'm no fan of the identitarian right. I think that anybody who plays a game, a, a conceptual game, where group identity comes first and foremost, risks an exacerbation of tribalism. It doesn't matter whether it's on the left or the right allow him to see clearly the issues that are before us. But that is to be complicit in the very problem itself terminologically. You're beginning at a point that's, that's already uh, productive and controversial. You're saying, how can he get his equality back? Who are you talking about? Jordan Peterson? Trending number one on Twitter? Jordan Peterson? With an international, in an international bestseller? I want him to tweet something out about me and my book. <clears throat> Jordan Peterson, right? This is what I'm saying to you. Why the rage, bruh? You, you, you're doing well, but you're a mean, mad white man. And you're going to get us right 
And I have never seen so much wine and snowflaking. There's enough wine in here to start a vineyard. Um, and with regards to my privilege or lack thereof, I mean, I'm not making the case that I haven't had advantages in my life and disadvantages in my life like most people. You don't know anything about my background or where I came from, and it doesn't matter to you because fundamentally I'm a mean white man. That's a hell of a thing to say in a debate. Let me, let me just say. Very, very brief, because mm. I, I want to move on to men and women. Good the, mean, the, the, the mean man white comment was not predicated upon my historical excavation of your past. It's based upon the evident vitriol with which you speak and the denial of a sense of equanimity among combatants in an argument. So I'm saying again, you're a mean mad white man and the viciousness is evident. Okay. 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 Let's reset. Change the decks here. Let's talk about the, uh, another big factor. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to point out two things again. The first is that my question about when the, when the left goes too far still hasn't been answered. And then the second thing I'm going to point out is that, you know, it's conceivable that I am a mean man. You know, I mean, maybe I'm meaner than some people and not as mean as others. I think that's probably more the case. But I would say the fact that race got dragged into that particular comment is a better exemplar of what the hell I think is wrong with the politically correct left than anything else that could have possibly happened. Um, imagine the hurt, the anxiety, um, the insult that you might genuinely feel, um, according to what I felt, was an appropriate comment of description at the moment of its expression. But imagine now those hurt feelings and... It's not hurt. Okay. You feel great. You feel great about it. That's really different. I'm not a victim. I'm not hurt. I'm appalled. You're not hurt. Okay. You wouldn't be a victim. So what's interesting is that whatever uh, non-traditional feelings of empathy you endure at this particular point, um, the, the, the point is, imagine then the horrors that so many other others have had to put up with for so long when they are refused to acknowledge their humanity. Now, I take your point. Seriously. So you're let, let me let me finish. Let me finish though. Let me, let me finish. To me. Let me finish, sir. That you're not my inquisitioner. Okay. What I'm saying to you is that we need to an to an indigenous or first nations community where we're able to engage in some of the it, lovely conversation, but also to listen and hear. And when I added race to that, I was talking about the historically events inability to acknowledge others' pains equally to the one that they are presently enduring. So as a human being, as a human being, I love you, my brother, but I stand by my comment. Well, I've seen the sorts of things that you're talking about. I happen to be an honorary member of an indigenous family, so mm. don't tell me about what I should go see with regards to oppression. You, you don't know anything about response. me. You asked me a question, I gave you a response. Yeah. 
You gave me a generic response. A it's generic, race-based response. You. Jordan Peterson, I would like for you to come with me, Michael Eric Dyson, to a black Baptist church. You've been to I, one of those? I would, I would be happy to do that. By okay. The way. All right. I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to hook you up. Okay, All right. good. We'll make sure that happens. One more quick round, and then we're going to go to closing statements. And Stephen Fry, I want to get your response. Why won't this be, be, in a sense, looked back upon as something positive uh, a generation from now? I, I think people will look back on this debate and, and wonder why political correctness wasn't discussed. Um, yeah. it's, um, <laughs> I said it was... <laughs> and to define how you think standard left-wing thinking, which has a valuable place, goes too far, since it obviously does. Has the right gone too far? Has the right gone too far? Of course the right has gone too far. Tell us how. Well, how about Auschwitz? I mean, yeah. well, I was talking about 20th century politics. What else? More recently, what has gone wrong with the right? It's threatening to go too far in identitarian Europe, that's for sure. It's gone too far in Charlottesville. It went too far in Norway. Like, how long a list do you want? And why am I required to produce that? To show you that I don't like the identitarian right? I just thought I'd ask you. I was actually asking you a question. So your assumption, your assumption is somehow that I must be on the side of the right. It's like, look, the right hasn't that. occupied the humanities and the social sciences. It's as simple as that for me. If they had, I'd be objecting to them. Say that again, I didn't, I didn't hear the, the right has not occupied the social sciences and the humanities. And the left clearly has. The statistical evidence for that is overwhelming. Sir, what about IQ testing in terms of genetic inheritance? <sighs> but there's no way I'm going to agree that political correctness is the way to address any of that. And there's plenty of evidence to the contrary, some of which I would say was displayed quite clearly tonight. <laughs> Thank you both. We're just going to do a quick uh, okay. discussion with the online audience who's watching sure. right now mm. just to get uh, your reactions to the debate. And maybe to start with you, uh, Jordan, there were some heated moments here. Did that, did that surprise you, that uh, the exchanges that you had with uh, Michael Eric Dyson? Well, I wouldn't say it surprised me. Well, I suppose it probably did. It just seemed, didn't seem like a very good tactical move. You know, and, and I stand by what I said. I don't see any reason at all that my racial identity needed to be dragged into the discussion independent of my personality proclivity. And what I tried to, in terms of giving a brief genealogy, we didn't have political correctness as long as white straight men were in charge.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Our generation, man, all you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, Get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. Military Corner, the Associated Press. What I'm about to read you is why I fucking hate liberals again. AP news break, the U.S. Army has moved in recent weeks to discharge dozens of immigrant recruits and reservists to enlisted through a program that promised them a path to citizenship. That was a DACA program enacted and given up in 2014 by Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, sorry, 15. Here's the problem. Not a single one of these motherfuckers ever even went to basic training. Most of them couldn't even pass the background check, and a lot of them were gang-related, thus they couldn't go into the military. But the AP didn't research that. They wanted clickbait for the resistance, because that's all anybody cares about. You can go up there and say, Donald Trump ate a bag of rhino dicks. It will lead. But it's not true. The entire world, especially vets, destroyed them. So, I wanted to lead off of that lie. You lie about my army? Go fuck yourself. U.S. stealth bomber just tested a brand new bunker-busting nuke, the B-6112 gravity bomb, a GPS-guided behemoth that's been in development since 08, can penetrate three meters of earth before detonating and puts off about 50 kilotons of the biggest version, or .3 kilotons for just a small one. Wow. Then sad news, the Air Force could end its light attack aircraft experiment following a fatal crash. It's kind of a replacement for the A-10, but they had a crash and they discontinued the program, but they're not getting rid of it. They're just not going to test it for a while, but that would be bad. I still think just improve the A-10 avionics. Just do that. Computerize that shit. Make it lethal. It's still the best fucking plane out there. Another Air Force story is getting a new rifle in its ejection survival pack. Service began fielding the longer-range weapon known as a GAU-5A aircrow self-defense weapon. Um, so when they eject, they can actually protect themselves without, you know, just a pistol, which is probably good. Then back to the Army. The M1 Abrams getting a brand new Israeli-made shields. The United States Army awarded Leonardo DRS a $193 million contract to equip the service's M1A2 SEP V2 main battle tanks with an Israeli-developed active protection system, or APS, called the Trophy earlier this month. The Army is adding the APS to the venerable M1 Abrams in a bid to increase the aging tank survivability against increased capable capable incoming anti-tank missiles and rocket-propelled grenades. The DRS Sustainment System, Inc. was awarded a 
$192,517,762 fixed price incentive contract for procurement of the Abrams APS system. Um, one bid was solicited, one bid was received. Work will be performed in St. Louis, Missouri with an estimated completion date of March 31st, 2020. Fiscal 2018, other procurement, Army, and research development tests and evaluating funds in the combined amount of 85843574 were obligated at the time of the award. That's pretty fucking badass. They say it could stop uh, tandem-charged RPG-29s and extremely lethal anti-tank guided missiles such as the Russian Cornet and the Chinese HJ-8s. Wow. So you Cobra brothers out there that might listen to my show, that's some good shit. Yeah. And lastly, a funny story. The time a marine mechanic took a joyride on July 4th with an A4M Skyhawk. Some people celebrate the 4th of July with beer, barbecue, and fireworks. Other perform more unconventional forms of celebration, like stealing a $14 million subsonic attack aircraft and taking it for a spin in the skies of California. That's how Marine Lance Corporal Howard A. Foote Jr. spent America's birthday on July 4th, 1986. And for some reason, I remember this. Talking to somebody in Alaska. They had a friend of a friend. The 21-year-old mechanic clambered into the cockpit of an A4M Skyhawk at El Toro Marine Corps Air Station and took off for the joyride of his life. By the way, when I went to the riots in 93, I think that's right, the LA riots, we were in El Toro, ate some chow there. doesn't exist anymore, it's kind of sad. Despite never infloning a jet fighter, Foote managed to pull off a pretty badass flight as a fantastic aviation reporter, Tyler Rogaway, described it for Foxtrot Alpha. As news reports at the time recount, Foot flew out towards San Clemente Island, executing loops, rolls, and high-speed maneuvers before turning back to MCAS El Toro after about 45 minutes to attempt a landing. This time, the runway is all very well lit, and base was buzzing with activity due to his barring of the jet. After several landing attempts, the Skyhawk maintainer put the A4M down safely and was quickly detained after exiting the cockpit. There was a little doubt that the whole stunt was extremely dangerous, but it was also an amazing accomplishment. Although Foote was no novice to flying, he was an accomplished glider pilot who set world records at a very young age. That wasn't a youthful prank like any riding dirty through the streets of Virginia in a 577 armored personnel carrier. I think we saw a couple of weeks ago. Rather, Foote's airborne antics was a last-ditch effort to, as Los Angeles Times put it, fulfill his lifelong dream of being at the throttle of a fighter jet, albeit a stolen one. The previous February, Foote has apparently suffered an aerial embolism during an attempt to set a glider altitude record and just a few days after he was informed by military doctors that the incident would preclude him from ever sitting behind the throttle of any jet he absconded with a skyhawk foot was discharged from marine corps but all charges against him were dropped this was likely thanks to his close relationship with retired el toro chief general william a bloomer a mentor of foot who had encouraged him to participate in the gliding challenge that dashed his dreams and while we're not exactly sure what Foot is up to now, the Los Angeles Times catch up with him some 50 months after the incident revealed a man eager to get back in the air. I'm waiting to hear if the Israeli Air Force will take me, Foot, then a pilot for a charter airline, told the Los Angeles Times. And if that doesn't work out, I'm going to see if I can fly for Honduras. I've heard they recently got some Skyhawks. Here's to you, Foot. 
for celebrating America's birthday the way God intended. By fulfilling your dreams, consequences be damned. And son of a bitch, I'll drink a beer in your name, Mr. Foot. Do our college crazy. Professor claims Hispanic students perpetuated colorblind racism. A Michigan State University sociology professor claims that the abstract liberalism of many Latino and Latina college students serves to reinforce colorblind racism. Maria Isabella Ayala interviewed 50 Latino students at Midwestern University and was dismayed to find that they attribute their success to hard work and self-reliance while shunning affirmative action. See, this is the thing I always talk about. I had a lot of Latina friends in the army. They're not liberals. They're just not liberals. They're hard-working motherfuckers. It's you people. You want to turn them into your lazy-ass, get-everything-free ideology and hate God and abort every baby on the planet. It's not going to happen. Study claims expertise, assertiveness are masculine traits. A new study has found that letters of recommendation for male professors tend to reflect more confidence than those for women in academia. A finding, the researchers believe, may be due to a woman's lack of masculine traits. While the actual difference observed in the study was slight, the researchers suggested that it reflects gender bias because academia values traits like confidence and assertiveness that men, but not women, are expected to hold. I would take your study and shove it up your ass. I served with numerous female drill sergeants that scared the fuck out of me and they weren't even yelling at me and I've been married to an Italian woman for 31 fucking years assertiveness definitely is her calling card course combines feminist concerns with environmental activism intersectionality award of the day Portland State University is offering a course that fall, this fall on eco-feminist spirituality, which combines feminist biblical interpretation with the idea that the oppression of women and the exploitation of the earth are the same, because they're Mother Earth. Got it. According to Professor, the most radical form of eco-feminism is socialist eco-feminism, which posits that the capitalist economy exploits women and nature. The inside of ecofeminism is the oppression of women and the exploitation of the earth are related. In its least radical form, it would use existing laws to reform our relationship with nature. I'm not reading anymore. I can't believe people get college credit for that shit. Then you got another one. Professor asserts men and women are different. University School of Science disagrees. After a professor for the University of Washington School of Computer Science wrote an essay for Quillette asserting that women are less likely to strive for computer science degrees than men because women and men are different, the university's School of Science director, Hank Levy, emailed the campus stating, We disagree with the conclusions drawn in this article. As Tony Arkinson noted in Campus Reform in her article about the situation, Levy would not confirm whether he had read Stewart's Reg's article or reviewed the research Reg cited. Spokesman, spokeswoman, excuse me, Kirsten Osborne told Campus Reform, We disagree with the assertion that gender differences and preferences explain the disparity between men and women in computer science and engineering. We disagree with the notion that any one factor could be as greater than another. The source data used in this piece is not our concern, and we don't believe it would be productive to comment on it, which means we didn't even fucking read it. 
all this, and you guys just never take biology. You just ignore biology. Got it. Professor asked students to find something to celebrate on the 4th. The University of Northern Colorado professor told students that she hopes they can find something to celebrate on Independence Day, despite a ton of ugliness in our nation's past and present. While she did not specify the ugliness to which she was referring, her Twitter page is rife with examples of social problems she sees in America from the Second Amendment to immigration enforcement. And she actually tweeted it out. We are already embarking, of course you did too. Happy 4th on Wednesday, despite all the social problems we are facing, despite a ton of ugliness in our nation's past and present, I hope each of you could find something to celebrate or honor or at least reflect over the holiday. And I think her inclusion was, if you want to get an A in my class, hate America. Fantastic. Secret Roe v. Wade film now shooting in New Orleans, but it's been rocked with leftist bigotry. We had to replace three local actors. Shooting for upcoming Roe v. Wade film film has been met with a deluge of leftist bigotry as locals along with cast and crew members slowly discover a pro-life film is being shot in their midst. Directed by actor Nick Loeb, whom you may recall as being central to the Sofia Vergara controversy regarding frozen embryos, the film will explore the historical events that led to the infamous Roe decision that enshrined abortion as a constitutional right. Though filming has been kept under a tight lid out of safety for cast and crew, Loeb said the production has been fraught with outside hostility. In an interview, Loeb recalls a crew member telling him to go fuck himself upon learning the film's subject matter. Even a synagogue demonstrated hostility from the Hollywood Reporter. Even with the secrecy, it's been a challenging shoot at Louisiana State University, Loeb said. We were told we were rejected due to our content, even though it would be a PG-rated film. They refused to put it in writing, but they told us on the phone it was due to content. At Tulane, where Loeb is an alumnus, the film shot one day, but after the school's newspaper reported on the nature of the project, producers were denied a second day of shooting, according to Loeb. Both Tulane and LSU say logistics were the problem. Yeah, bullshit. And then there was a synagogue in New Orleans that production rented for catering as a place for extras to hang out. Once they found out what the film was about, they locked us out. We had to call the police so they could extras and caterers could retrieve their possession, Loeb said. But casting has been a problem throughout, as actors have walked away once they realized there was a pro-life tilt in the film. We had to replace three local actors, including one who was to play Norma McCovey, even after she begged for the role, says Loeb. From costumers to location scouts, a litany of crew members have left the production upon hearing of the subject matter, which all speaks to the left's hypocrisy, considering these very same people were happy to see the government force Christians to bake a cake for homosexual wedding, despite their moral misgivings. I have been doing research on the movie, trying to figure out who is producing and what the gist of the story is, and I finally found it out, and so I am withdrawing from the project, said a location scout. I am a staunch pro-abortion feminist activist and will not be party to such a horrible propaganda. Loeb says the film's plan to tell the whole truth about Roe v. Wade, including the lies and manipulation that went into getting the litigation off the ground. I have my own pro-life issue going on with my fight over embryos, but no one has really told the whole truth about Roe v. Wade in the film, he said. When I delved into this, I discovered conspiracy theories, fake news, made-up statistics, and a whole lot of people involved who switched their position from pro-choice to pro-life, including Norma. Like everything else, the left lies and doesn't state facts because facts don't back their argument. 
I read an article about this, and I will do a review on this film when it comes out, because I'm telling you, it's no different than everything else on the left. They got that for the Supreme Court. They lied. Statistics were bullshit. They pumped up the deaths and all that crap. I don't understand what's in it for the left. Killing babies is their calling card. And I can't figure out why they're so all in on it. I guess it's like everything else. They believe that more of America is female than male and they'll get more voters. I don't think anything's actually the cause. It's all a voting pandering scheme. Anyway, let's move on to transgender shit. For the first time, a transgender woman will compete for Miss Universe. When she doesn't win, we'll have to hear about transphobia. Fucking fantastic. Then there's this one. Scarlett Johansson faces backlash for transgender role in upcoming film and for her defiant response. Scarlett Johansson is facing backlash for being a cast as a transgender man in an upcoming film and for response to the uproar. Johansson is set to star in Rub and Tug as Dante Tex Gill, a real-life transgender man who ran a massage parlor, which was a front for a prostitution operation in 1970 Pittsburgh. Critics on sli- online slammed the casting. Stop casting cis actors to play transgender people. And other rudeness. So Johansson rep provided this comment on Rub and Tug to Bustle from the actor self. Tell them that they can be directed directed to Jeffrey Tambor, Jared Leto, and Felicity Huffman's reps for comment. She basically told them to go fuck themselves. So then they called her trash and said, "What the fuck is this trash response from Scarlett Johansson or Scarlett Johansson?" She's dumb as hell. It goes on and on. If she's insinuating her right to play a trans man as a white feminist issue because cis white actors have played trans women. I'm disgusted. What disgusts me is that you're making a movie called Rub and Tug. You guys are so fucked up. But it's the leftist media, which brings us to our next article. Leftist media pushed drag kids, and it's basically child abuse. On Friday, the far-left Huffington Post pushed out a video of a 10-year-old boy, Desmond, dressed as a drag queen. What would prompt a major publication to celebrate the portrayal of a young boy as a sexualized older woman? The fact that they can use Desmond as a self-described LGBTQ activist and advocate. This is child abuse. Nothing in the video says that Desmond is actually gay or suffers from gender dysphoria. In fact, he's obviously prepubescent, so it's unlikely he has a sexual feeling as of yet. But according to HuffPo, he's proof that the future is gay because he dresses proudly as a woman after being shown RuPaul's drag race at age two. Solid parenting, mom and dad. I still don't understand why that's not child abuse. But it's it's the disease. It is the religion of progressivism. Parents seeking answer after school showed their children LGBT videos without their consent. Real story. Last April, student at Emanuel's High School in Pennsylvania were shown a number of pro-LGBTQ EIEIO Cosign of Four videos. The short films played during morning announcements in honor of Unity Week were selected by the supposedly student-led Gay Straight Alliance Club. 
Although the supposed intention of the showing the videos was to discourage bullying, concerned parents and students feel the real aim or result was indoctrination. And when parents requested to see the controversial videos that had been thrown, shown to their children, the school district wouldn't let them. Now Liberty Council, a non-profit law firm that focuses on issues related to religious freedom and First Amendment, is demanding that the district immediately release the four pro-homosexuality videos. The videos include the titles, Nine Questions Gay People Have About Straight People, Show Your Pride, Share Your Love, in addition to a CBS News clip and footage from marriage equality celebrations. Frustrated parents had initially taken their complaints straight to the school district, since when does a public school in the United States of America have the right to block a parent and tell them they will not allow them to see the controversial partisan programming they were requiring their church children to watch, one parent wrote in a letter. We have every right to expect that our children are not being subjected to partisan indoctrination in our public schools. But the school district dis- disagreed. Penn School District Superintendent Michael Schilter claimed that because the videos were put together by students and therefore part of a student project by the Gay Straight Alliance, they are completely off limits for parents. Student work and student expression must always be protected, he told the morning call. A parent or member of the public has no right to view or access a student term paper, speech, or multimedia project just because he or she objects to the topic. But Diane... Grambly, president of the American Family Association of Pennsylvania, posed a fair question at the first of the series of heated school board meetings. Would the school allow the opposite view to be presented to the students? Parents and students who voiced concern about the videos have been accused of being homophobic. But for many, the issue is not so much about acceptance or equality as it is about parental rights. According to Liberty Council attorney Richard Mast, the law is clear that presents that parents... Not agents of the state, including teachers, and certainly not GLSEN or its teachers or student affiliates with the GSA, have the right to direct the upbringing and association of minor children. Mast alleged the videos are a matter of public record and furthermore not acted actually created by students. He also questioned whether, as the district claims, students even selected the films, pointing out that gay-straight alliance clubs are in fact initiated by the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, Glenson, which happens to be an LGBTQ advocacy group. According to Liberty Council, litigation may be necessary for parents to finally see the videos shown to the children. Upwards of 2,800 students were given that propaganda. Propaganda! Out of my wife's mouth last night, who is no gay basher, no transphobe, I would sue the fuck out of them. And I'm going to stay on this story. That is what I'm talking about. Indoctrination. And if you have an opposing view, label you and demean you. You're a homophobe. No, I'm a parent. You would never put a Christian video in there. And they're the same thing. It's indoctrination. But have no fear. We're moving on. A fat female hero is in the works. A pause for a second. I actually had to pause the podcast and answer a phone. You know, you know, I'll save it. I'll save it for the end. I got to tell you all this story because this, you know, when people dog America, stories like this are what's beautiful with America. I got to be honest. It's stupid, but it's beautiful. But back to the fat superhero. 
Apparently, much-needed diversity to the superhero film lineup, Sony has decided to move ahead with a new flick featuring plus-side female lead, a live-action adaptation of Valiant comic superhero story, Faith. Marie Melanick has been signed to write a film which stars superhero Faith Herbert, a jubilant comic and science fiction-loving geek who also happens to have telekinetic superpowers. Yeah. And then we'll read stories on here that that's bad and it's not good for the environment or something. Who knows? Next one, study reveals that women are hardwired to find attractive. Feminists are going to hate it. The study found the research suggests that women are hardwired to overlook the harmful consequences of BS because BS mates are perceived as willing to invest, protect, provide, and commit. Hmm. Ready reads the study abstract. Gull and Kupner chalk this up to natural selection, a symptom which women have yet to shake. As noted by Daily Mail, the research was collected for five study groups full of women with the largest group comprising of 233 women and the smallest of the 104. The females were asked to view scenarios of interaction for men. Such included men who were kind, but in what is considered a sexist way, and men who treated the women as equals and didn't offer any special treatment. They were then asked to rate the men's warmth and attractiveness and how willing they thought they would be to provide for, protect, or commit to them. They also divulged their own degree of their feminist leanings, outlined how patronizing or undermining they found the behavior. Women found benevolent, sexist, BS men attractive, not because they were ignorant of harmful effects, but despite being aware of them, the scientists found. This suggests that the desirable aspect of BS attitudes and behaviors are sufficient to overcome the perceived negative effect. The reality is the super-duper feminist women are just man-haters. I don't care what you say. They got hurt by some guy, or something went wrong, their daddy didn't give them enough attention, who the fuck knows, but... I noticed all through my marriage, and I hope my wife doesn't hear this episode, when I was a little more alpha around here, I got a lot more sex. When I was super nice and doting, she didn't like me as much. I'm just telling you, that's how it is. But you know, one of the allies of the left shows progressivism, which isn't progressivism, but the same disease that progressivism has. Israel is stealing clouds from Iran. That's why they have a drought. That's what Iranians believe. Actual foreign minister said that. I thought it was funny because there's both a lot. They align with Palestinians and Iranians and they love them. Those crazy bastards just like them. To our crazy Crazy stories. Vampire killer is caught after he's seen drinking the blood of a woman whose throaty slit in Zimbabwe. Christer Sibidin then allegedly cut her throat with a sharp object. Passerby saw a pot of blood near body and Sibidin sucking blood from her neck. Holy sheep shit, Batman. To the women's scorn category. Wife says she sliced off his cheating, cheating husband's penis then threw it out the window. But a woman in Cobb, Georgia, said, hold my fucking beer. Woman burns down home because man went to see another woman. Really? That'll teach him. In the funny category, dogs are turning to weed to cope with fireworks. I didn't actually read the article. It was clickbait. But I saw a picture of a boxer with a bong. 
And I gotta admit, I laughed. That's just fucking crazy. Fucking, I can't see my Huskies smoking. They're already too strung out and crazy. Maybe the little one. I should get him just toasted. Just every day. He should be cheek and chong. Lastly, last man standing cast shakeup. These two stars are out. Conservatives have been hyped for the return of the hit show, Last Man Standing, starring actor Tim Allen. But two original cast members will not be back for season seven. Molly Ephraim, who played Allen's vain but lovable middle daughter named Mandy Baxter, will not be returning for the highly anticipated upcoming season. Actor Flynn Morrison, who played Allen's grandson, won't be there. According to Deadline, both stock characters are currently being recast. Additionally, Caitlin Dever, who plays Alan's youngest daughter, Eve, who's my favorite, is currently negotiating for a recurring role on the new season because she is in another Netflix show, Unbelievable. That kind of sucks. According to Deadline, the rest of the core cast is set to return for the new season. Fox Last Man Standing will be back on TV starting September 28th at 8 p.m. on Friday nights. I am stoked. Stoked. Which takes us to our lighter fare. I do this one tongue in cheek because I just think it's pretty funny that this actually happened. There was a study done. Men reveal the three words they love to hear during lovemaking. I was surprised by the results. You're so big was actually a distant fifth or something. It was 17%. But the words that men love hearing was, please don't stop, and that feels good. I don't remember what women's magazine this came from, but I thought I'd put it in a lighter fare because... With the current men are pigs, pieces of shit, white men are worse. That that even happened is still shows that there's still some human nature out there, folks. Uh, the majority of women like men, and the majority of men like women. And the 4.5% of gay people and 0.7% of transgenders, you're still the outlier. So, um, I just like reminding people that. Not because I bash gays. But because the current gayification of our country is just insane. You know, if you really want a smaller demographic, go for vets. A lot less of us out there. You can do all sorts of freaking chant sheets and bumper stickers. Just on the VA alone. And of course, with all the talk about Civil War, the Second Civil War, America's Civil War, there's going to be a Civil War. Leave it to conservatives to mock it. And, um... I saw this from Iowa Hawk, and some of these are just fucking hilarious. So I thought, instead of a soundbite, I'd read some of the hashtag second, second Civil War letters. David Burgess, my darling Clara, I write to you today along the Twittermatics timeline where the infirmary tents continue to fill without cessation. The woods ringing with the barking despair are hollow-eyed souls driven to madness by butthurt and sick burns. <laughs> Next one. I have done what I can to staunch the outbreaks of gangrene and caps lock, but I fear there will be no respite as Colonel Trump's militia and the resistors have vowed victory, even down to the final lunatic. And I'm running low on bandages and alcohol. 
Another tra- another one posited, the situation has become desperately hilarious and I fear that I, like so many others, shall lose my own buttocks to the dark laughter. I implore you, my dearest, to p- please pray for my buttocks and send more alcohol. Your faithful and devoted bae. <laughs> then ones that really just go after liberals. All. Our espresso machine is broken and our supply of Starbucks singles is running thin. Our avocado ration is cut in half and there's a 10 minute wait for the charging port. Sherman was right. War is hell. Sent for my iPhone. <laughs> dad and dad. We tried to take our tattoo parlor, but we hurt ourselves with the needles. We retreated to the Whole Foods for essential oil treatments. <laughs> My darling, war is hell. The Battle of Trader Joe's lasted many days. We lost half our battalion, some to enemy fire, some to the dreaded Comfefe virus. I still live, but for how much I long how much longer I do not know. Pray for us. Dearest I take pen to hand to write to tell you I am not well. We are bunkered down in an olive garden with our only breadsticks and house chardonnay to sustain us. My heart is sorrowful, but my resolve is strong. No carbs. Not now. Not ever. My love. The mega forces mounted a counteroffensive and broke through our defenses at the mall. Their troops were overjoyed to capture the Chick-fil-A, which was followed by the great consternation when they realized it was closed on Sunday. (laughs) And lastly, dearest Mildred, our foothold was breached when advancing enemy kicked over our crying closet. We fled. I saved the espresso machine. New fortress is sure to thwart the armed aggressors with big gun-free zone sign. Send Avocado toast, yours, Lance. And I just think that was funny as shit because as the left literally wants a civil war and the right write op-eds about how the second civil war seems to be coming, I sit there in the middle and go, what the fuck is wrong with you people? It's not the first time we've had a hated president. Bush was the first of my adult well no reagan i just wasn't listening reagan was a nazi bush was a nazi bush too was a nazi trump's a nazi clinton was awesome oh bammer was awesome we we're always here because the left can't handle not being in power at least the white house they just hate america when the white house is a republican and they love and ignore and stop reporting when there's a, a democrat in office and that's how it will always be. Liberals are emotional people. Facts don't really matter, just feelings. And they're feeling all the fucking time. So just lighten the fuck up. And this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments about the track by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcastgmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure you check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. FOPpodcast.com. It's a theme. There you see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page and email us. You'll see a link to every episode on the episode release page. 
and my blog, which I never do. Next podcast is to be determined. I'm hoping sometime next week. I, I, I don't know what I'll be doing. Um, I'll accept my job today and I think you're in the last background, do a bunch of other stuff. So sometime next week, I'm assuming I'll start working in the week after. So by Wednesday, I'm hoping I can knock one out. I did, I have an appointment Wednesday, so that should be a day I, I don't have to do anything, um, with work because I have an appointment. It'll take most of the day. So I'm sure by Wednesday, which would be the, uh, oh, what the hell would that be? I didn't look it up. Sorry. The, the, uh, 11th, the 11th. We'll shoot for July 11th. And I'll close with the story about the phone call that put us on pause. America is a great country for the simple reason you can sue for anything. I have been brought into litigation, albeit as the lawyers have told me illegally, and I'm actually not going to be litigated because the judge will probably throw it out, over an individual going to one of my stores 10 fucking years ago and... um one of our employees writing a letter to his company that he's a jackass. It was done because they asked about it. Him being terminated. And then he went out and, and did a lawsuit. I was never part of the lawsuit. I never met the guy. Uh, I don't know anything about the incident. I wasn't there. I just remember reading an email that they asked for a letter about his conduct. And these people said it. So this guy's been suing for all this time because he lost a job. And I think, you know, that's pretty fucking crazy. It's really crazy if you think about it because, you know, if you got fired by somebody, sue them if you think it's a wrongful termination. But an outside party writing a letter not saying your name, how is that a lawsuit? But in our country it is. And there's so much checks and balances within the justice system that this guy, it's taking a long time to say, no, you can't sue this person or that person. Because when it didn't work the first time and it wasn't thrown out but it just didn't get resolved... Um, he lost representation and started doing his own thing. And now he's bringing a bunch of people that had nothing to do with it in. And my name was on there. And so was the CEO of our company or CFO. So I just thought it was funny. It's an amazing thing. And it's scary at the same time because how this motherfucker got my damn phone number and, or not my phone number, but my address and tried freedom of information to get my military records. This guy was serious. I wasn't even there. I don't even know his name. How he knows my name, I don't know. Um, but he does. And, you know, here we are, out of the statute of limitation on suits like this, he, he still gets a chance to try to do it. So I, as much as it irks me and it's annoying, it's still pretty cool. Because in no other country could you pull this kind of crazy, shady shit and get away with it. Yet all the time, all we hear is how the justice system is broke and everybody's fucked up. And if you're black, you get fucked and yada, yada, yada. In America, you can sue for anything. You don't get that anywhere else. So, I mean, I, I just wanted to comment on it. It's very interesting. After a half an hour phone call in the middle of this podcast, I am struck with, that's still pretty cool. I mean, if you think about it, most countries would be like, suck it up, buttercup, go get a new job, but whatever. So, have a great weekend, folks. I hope you all enjoy time with your family. Stay cool. If you're down in the south like I am, it is hotter than a Georgia firecracker out there. It's miserable. And wish me luck as I start the next chapter of employment. Uh, don't worry. I won't go postal. And tune back in next Wednesday, the 11th, for another exciting episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. As always... 
Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Yeah!